Section 21 of A Woman's Way Through Unknown Labrador by Mina Benson Hubbard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Narrative by George Elson. Part 2. Too late. Very soon Donald Blake and his brother came home. I told him of our sad trip and asked him if he could go up and take grub to Mr. Hubbard and Wallace. Which river did you follow this summer? Donald asks me. The Nascopi River, I said, and I came down by the same river again. When did you come out to Grand Lake? he said. Yesterday, I replied. And how did you get across the lake? I did not come across at all, but followed the south shore all the way. Then he told me where the Nascopi River was, and where it came out from to the Grand Lake within four miles northeast from here. I told him about which river we followed, the one at the head of the lake. He then tells me that we have taken the wrong river, and that the river we have followed was the Susan River. Then I asked him, what river was this one I crossed with the raft? He says, that river was Beaver Brook or Beaver River. Then I learned that this Beaver River was the big river where we left our canoe, and my thoughts were, oh, that if we had followed the big river we would all have got out safe, and I could not forget about it, and felt so sorry about it. Donald got ready to start in the morning. He told me of two men seven miles from here. I told him it would be better if we could get the other two men, as they would make better time and have later loads. So they started off the same night in their boat and got the two men, Alan Gowdy and Duncan Moline. Wednesday morning, October 28th, Donald and three more started off in their boat part of the way. They had their snowshoes also, taking lots of grub and some spare sealskin boots and some other clothes, as I told them how the boys were rigged when I left them. I wanted to go with them, too, but they said they were going to travel at night, too, and I thought I would not be able to stand it out. I made a map for them and told them just where the tent was, and told them which side of the river to follow, and that the tent was just at the forks. I told them what I told Wallace before I left him, not to leave the river, and to follow the north shore of the river all the time. So they said they would find the camp without any trouble. When Donald and the men had gone, Mrs. Blake was baking some biscuits just after breakfast. The hot biscuits looked so good. At last I could not help myself and had to ask her for some. She put some in a dish and gave me butter, molasses, and tea, so I ate and ate and could not stop myself, whatever, that at last I had to just force myself to go away where I could not see those little biscuits. But oh, how I did suffer afterwards. I could not eat anything more that day. It pained me ever so much in my breast. I would try to have a rest in bed, but could not. The pain was too much. Then I would go out and walk about outside, but it was no use whatever, and come in and sit down. This I kept on all day, but I wouldn't tell Mrs. Blake about it. I had no rest and suffered very much, and was getting worse all the time. I thought of myself, well, I had nearly died of starvation, and after I did come out to where I could get some grub to live on, and after all kill myself with it. What a mean trick. I did not know what to do with myself at last. Then I thought to try some hot water and started to vomit. It did me good. I felt much better after. I knew when I was eating those biscuits that it wouldn't be good for me if I ate too much, but I couldn't help it, but it learnt me a good lesson. Afterwards I took good care not to eat too much, but for some time after, about three weeks, we suffered in our breast every time we ate, and so very, very hungry all the time for more to eat. We then suffered nearly as much as we did when we were first out of grub. Next day Mrs. Blake telling me, Donald built this house last fall. It is a little over a week since we moved into our new house, and the other house you see over there is Mr. Bakey's house. He is not up yet. He is yet at the Northwest River Post. So I thought, if Donald hadn't come up here when I came past, I guess I will just go into Mr. Bakey's house and see if I would have found anything there. I went in his little store first, it wasn't locked, and found a few pounds of flour and some bits of pork in a keg, and about twenty pounds butter, and also a good pair of sealskin boots. So I said to myself, well, I guess I could find a load of grub here and take a load back to Mr. Hubbard and Wallace. But I thought about the river, and how would I get a load back across the river? Then I looked round if I could find an axe and found two, one small and the other large. I took the big axe and said, 
This one would come handy to use to make my raft with, and the little one I would take along with me in the bush, and those sealskin boots I would wear, and also found three pair snowshoes. I also picked out the pair I would have taken and said, This pair I would take. Then I went in his house and found two barrels of flour. So I said, Well, after all, I would have found more flour than I could carry to take up to the boys, for I told them when I left that if I found grub any place on the road and no one there, I would just help myself and try and bring up a load. In that house I spent some time, thinking and planning of what I would have done. Friday, October 30th. I was staying at Donald's, killing quite a few partridges and making myself at home, but yet not feeling very happy, as I did not get much rest at nights thinking about Mr. Hubbard and anxious to hear from them soon. I had good hopes of Mr. Wallace, because the moldy flour he had would yet keep him alive, and my troubles were, now I feel safe and had good hopes of getting home, but should Mr. Hubbard and Wallace starve in there, the people may not believe me in what I say, and will think that I run away from them and haven't done fair whatever, and when I got home I would get in trouble, after I had done all I could for them as well as myself. When I would wake up at night it would just come into my mind, and more than that, Mr. Hubbard had been so good to me, and to remember what a friend he was, and what a brave man he was. Oh, wasn't he a brave man? I have seen a good many fine people in my time, but I never have seen a man like Hubbard, and I never expected to see another. I was thinking too how things happened, about being on the wrong river, and what made us believe we were on the right river, though at the same time thinking that it was too small to feed Grand Lake, but when it came out just at the head of the lake, as it shows in the map, made us think it was the Nuskapi. And besides how we proved as we were going up, as the people had told us at Northwest River Post, that after we got up the Nuskapi River, 18 miles up, we would come to the Red Wine River, bridging off from the south side of the Nuskapi River, and also how that happened. When we got up about 18 miles up, a little river bridging off from the south into this river, we thought was the Nuskapi, and of course we called this little river the Red Wine River. And besides how we found the old portage trail, and also the steel trap, and how all these things kept on making us think for sure we were on the right route, and besides no one knew or ever thought there was any other river, and I could not forget about it, and was so sorry about it. Only one river. Saturday evening, October 31st. Donald Blake and Alan Gowdy returned from their trip, and sorry to hear the death of Mr. Hubbard. They suppose he died the first evening we left him, by telling of the signs, as he hasn't been out of the tent after the first snow. Three or four caribou has been coming right near the tent door, and going round the tent. Donald and Alan tells of Mr. Hubbard how they found him wrapped up in his blanket, like as he had been falling asleep and the tent door closed and all pinned up. I could tell then pretty well how he has being, and that he has being doing as he said he would, and has fallen asleep and has never woke, for I myself was nearly at my finish, and knew how I felt, and how weak and sleepy I used to feel, and often felt that I could just fall asleep and never wake up again. Donald and Alan brought all that was at the tent, Mr. Hubbard's camera and his rifle and his diary, and I was so very much surprised to see what he has written, and found a letter he has been writing for me to Mr. S.A. King, in case I should fail, and telling him how I had tried so hard to help him. I was so glad to see this letter, and remembered how he did speak of me this summer, and was so always pleased of my work, and further to see here what he has written about me, even to his very last. Then I knew his letter would help if the people would not believe me in what I said. They fixed Mr. Hubbard's body the best way they could and returned to Mr. Wallace. Going up, they found Mr. Wallace one mile above from where we got the flower from, where Wallace and I parted. They came on to his trail first, then they followed him up. He has crossed the river on the ice to the south shore, just near where they came to him along the river, where some caribou had been going across. He had a little fire, but was unable to make a start or to travel any more. Alan Gowdy says he right away gave Wallace some bread and butter, and after he ate that he did want some more, but we would not give him more. We were afraid to give him too much, for fear he would eat too much. He then got a hold of some raw salt pork and was going to eat it raw, that we had to just take it from him. The two young lads, Duncan Moline and Gilbert Blake, stayed with Mr. Wallace, and Donald and Alan went right on to Mr. Hubbard. 
They saw Wallace's trail through the snow, and along where he went, and only less than a couple hundred yards from the tent, and had turned back and followed his own trail again, thinking he had gone past the camp. They found Mr. Wallace was frostbitten on the point of his toe, the big toe on his left foot. He had yet a little of the flower when they found him. The two lads stays up with Mr. Wallace, so when he gets a little stronger they would come down to Grand Lake. They had a tent and stove, and lots of provisions. Sunday, November 1st. I went with Alan over where he lives, seven miles from Donald's, four miles by the lake, then up the Nascopi River three miles. My first glimpse of the Nascopi River. The Nascopi River is a nice big river compared to the Susan and Beaver River, and much wider and deeper. When we came along here in the summer, we saw this bay where the Nascopi River comes out from, from a distance, but we thought it was just only a bay, and high mountains all round, and we never thought a river came out from there, so we did not go in there at all. We saw also from a distance where Beaver River runs out from, but we thought it was only an island, so we still just went on and followed the map. It was late in the evening when we got back to Donald's. Donald and Alan would start off again in the morning to meet the two lads and Wallace. Monday, November 2nd. Donald and Alan meeting Mr. Wallace, they arrived at Donald's in the evening. Mr. Wallace then told me of his trip after I left him, but he could not remember all, as he at last lost track of everything. He was troubled with his eyes, being nearly smoke-blind, and that he could not find the tent. He thought he had gone past the camp. He says he did not know where the tent was. He made Duncan a present of Mr. Hubbard's washing rod. Tuesday, November 3rd. We said goodbye to Donald's and went with Alan and Duncan over to their place. We stayed there a couple of days while Alan getting his boat ready for us to use to Northwest River. The day after I went over there I asked Duncan Moline if he could go with me this winter when I go up to get Mr. Hubbard's body. He told me he would be willing to come along with me and help me all he could. I told him I would try to get one or two more at Northwest River Post. Thursday, November 5th. In the morning, Wallace and I started off from Alan's house. When we got to the mouth of the river, we could not go any farther. Snowing very hard, could not see any distance, and the wind against us. We stayed at the mouth of the river till in the evening. The wind shifted to the northwest, and we sailed across to Cape Blanc, just opposite the Nascopi. We went to a little shack I knew. When we passed here in the summer, we saw the shack just near the lake. This was the little shack where I thought I might find some food or perhaps find some trappers when I was coming down the Susan, but it was just a little shack or tilt for the trappers' use when traveling along Grand Lake, just big enough for two men to sleep in. Wallace and I were glad to get in, and a little stove in, too, and nice and warm. In the morning, November 6th, nice wind and fair for us, and got to Northwest River. The people were so sorry to hear the sad news of Mr. Hubbard, especially those who have seen him. I also came across Mr. Bakey, who knew about Beaver River, and inquires if we came to where it branches and connects again on the south side of a high, half-barren hill. I said, yes, that is just the place where we left our canoes and went over to Susan Brook. He tells me, if you had come over that rapid where you left the canoe, you would go six miles and just come to another. Only about fifty yards you would carry your canoe, and from there smooth and deep water, no rapids but swift current. Even if you didn't have the strength of paddling, swift current would have brought you down right to my house. Mr. Bakey lived just near Donald Blake's at Grand Lake, just near the river, Beaver River. How sorry I was when we did not follow Beaver River. It would only take us two days to come from where we left the canoe to where Donald Blake or Mr. Bakey's house. Mr. Bakey has his trapping on Beaver River, and he knew all about it, and tells me that we had come over the worst part of the river. Keeping a promise and something more. At the new year I saw Duncan Moline again, and he said he would meet me on the 16th of January at Donald's, to start from there up the bush to get Mr. Hubbard's body and the things we left, if I can find them. He would be out from his trapping path then, and besides the river is frozen up. All the people around there thought I could not find anything whatever. I did not meet Duncan, and did not get started on my trip till 8th March. The men were willing to go with me and help me with what I had to do, but Mr. Wallace wanted the canoe out, and to make the canoe a present to Mr. Mackenzie, which the boys didn't care to undertake, and afraid to try and make a start, because they thought if they went they would have to bring the canoe. 
and besides the snow being so deep, and had been snowing nearly every day for some time ago, and haven't had the chance of settling down, and besides about eighty miles to where the camp was, and the canoe about ninety-eight miles. We could not take dogs, because the country being so rough we could not use dogs whatever, so we have to get on by hauling every man his toboggan. Seeing that, the boys were almost afraid to try, till at last I told them, Never mind, but come along with me, and I will tell you whether the canoe will be taken out or not, because we are going up there especially for to bring out Mr. Hubbard's body, and some films if I can find them, and we will leave the canoe and not bother with it. So you can put the blame on me, as anyway we will have more than three men can handle, and especially the country being so rough. They said they would come along with me and help me in what I had to do, as it is something that has to be done. And besides getting time for the mild, and the rivers burst, and the water runs on top of the ice, and afraid that we could do no traveling in Susan Brook, and the mountains so rough and steep we could not haul toboggans over them, and have to travel on the river. So we got started in the morning from Northwest River on our way up. March 8th. Tom Blake and Duncan Moline and I started this morning to bring Mr. Hubbard's body out to Northwest River. We have two toboggans and one catamaran. Taking little stove and tent and enough provisions. Each has a good load, and the new snow makes heavy going. Got dogs at Tom Blake's. Douglas Blake going up the lake with us. We came 18 miles today. March 9th. Still snowing heavy and stormy, so we had to lay up today, being too rough to travel on the lake and the snow deep. March 10th. Still snowing. Tom Blake got discouraged, as he thinks it will be too hard to do any traveling in the bush, as it is heavy going even on the lake. He and Douglas went home this morning with the dogs to Northwest River. The young lad Duncan stays with me. I found hard to think of what I have to do, but Duncan promises me that he will be brave, and we will try to go on as soon as the weather settles and the snow will pack and make better traveling. March 11th and 12th. Snowing and kind of mist. Could not go on again. Sunday, March 13th. In the afternoon it cleared up and we started, Duncan and I, and being only two, could not take all we had, and left some grub and our blankets, just taking tent, stove, and enough grub. Our loads still heavy to drag, and traveled slow on good part of the night. At last Duncan broke his snowshoe and had to stop. Duncan is a nice boy and willing, and not particular when to start in the morning and when to quit. March 14th. This morning Duncan fixing up his snowshoes, and took part of the day. In the afternoon we started. Hope to make a good early start in the morning as the snow is settling fast. March 15th. This morning as we were just starting off, saw Mr. Blake coming. He has changed his mind and came on again to follow us up. We were so glad to have him come again. March 16th. Stormy and cold. Last night very cold. We have to keep fire on all night, and especially when we have no blankets. Our toboggans being so rimy today, and very often scraped the rhyme off so as it wouldn't draw so hard. March 17th. The weather changed and settled down, and made a good day's journey today. March 18th. Today I shot six partridges with the pistol. This evening I knew we were coming opposite where we left the cartridges in the summer. It was in July, but one day Mr. Hubbard thought he had too many cartridges, and we took and dug in the sand and left them and covered them up, about 500 rifle and pistol cartridges. So I told Mr. Blake and Duncan about it, and left our loads there, and crossed over to where I thought it would be. We hadn't marked the place, for anyway we thought of never coming back that way again. We came to the place where I thought we had left them and dug into the snow. The boys were not sure about it at all, and thinking that I would not find the cartridges. When we came to the sand they asked me, Is this the place? I said, Yes. A chisel I had with me to cut the frozen sand with. We dug into the sand and just came on them. The boys were surprised and would have bet anything before we started that I wouldn't find anything whatever, as the snow in winter makes things look different. March 19th. Today made good time. Duncan Snowblind. Sunday, March 20th. Early before noon we came to the camp. The tent was all buried in the snow, but when we dug down were surprised to find it standing. We wrapped Mr. Hubbard in the things we brought along with us and did the best we could. I blazed a tree near where the tent has been. This I wrote deeply. L. Hubbard. Died here 18th October 1903, and will be brought out by T. Blake, Duncan Moline, and G. Elson. Came on a little farther this evening. The boys yet do not hardly think I can find the rest of the things. 
Of course I'm not sure myself, but I can try anyway. We have our cache five different places, some four and eight miles apart. March 21st. The boys were surprised today. When we came to the first cache I told them that we left some things there, but they looked at me and told me how could I tell on no marks to go by. But they wouldn't refuse. We dug down to the ground, eight feet, and just came on our little bundle we had left. The next was the same, and the next, till we got everything we had thrown away, only one bag yet with lots of films in. I remembered that I had hung it up by a little strap, on a little stump in some swamp, and the trees scattered. I thought I really could not guess at that place, and told the boys, but we went on anyway, till I thought we came to the place. No tree near, only just a plain. At last we dug down a piece anyway. When we got down a piece we started to feel around with our feet, and just came on the stump and the bag still on. Mr. Blake says, I have been trapping now ever since I could, when only a boy, and I think I know a little about traveling in the bush now, but I could never find anything like you, and did not miss one place, but came right on it every time. I would never believe anyone could do that if I did not see it myself. Duncan said the same, and besides, nothing to go by. March 22nd, started back from the camp for Grand Lake. Each man has a big load, for we have picked up lots. Duncan very bad with snow blind. March 23rd, Snowing heavy and rime on our toboggans makes heavy traveling. Some places the river bad to travel, on account of rapids where it isn't froze. We have sometimes just a narrow bridge of ice to go on, as no other way we could go, for the rough steep mountains on each side. March 24th. Drifting and snowing very hard. Only traveled part of day. Got to Alan Gowdy's house. March 25th. Snowing heavy. Got to Cape Corbeau, all very tired. March 26th. Stormy today and snowing very hard and our toboggans so heavy we could not get on at all, and had to leave our loads and walk empty to the post. Late when we got here at Mr. Blake's house on the rapids, three miles from the post. We'll get dog team in the morning and go back for our loads. March 28th. Duncan Moline and I took dog team up Grand Lake this morning and got here again this evening with Mr. Hubbard's body and the things we left behind in the fall. We dressed him the best we could, and laid him in the coffin the men at Kenemish had made for him, till we are ready to start on around the coast. When I was up in the bush, Mr. Wallace has a letter from Dr. Clooney McPherson. As soon as he heard the sad news of Mr. Hubbard, he has started out from Battle Harbor to come to Northwest River with his dog team to help us. When he got to Rigolette, Mr. Fraser has just been at Northwest River Post and told him we hadn't yet the body of Mr. Hubbard out from the bush. And besides, when he left Battle Harbor, his little child was sick, and a team of dogs brought him news that his child was getting worse. So then he had to turn back from Rigolette, and sent a letter to Mr. Wallace to guide us on our way from Rigolette to Battle Harbor, from the time we may leave Rigolette all along, giving full account where we could get men and teams, and when we got at a place what men to ask for, and gave all the names of the places, and the names of the people we are to inquire for, and the best places to stay at nights, and besides tells of a steamer to come to Battle Harbor about the 1st of May. It was hard to get dogs, and we were long getting started. In February I was up at Muddy Lake, Wednesday, February 24th, I went from Muddy Lake to Goose Bay at John Groves. He asked me if we got dogs to help us around the coast, and to take Mr. Hubbard's body. I said that we did not get fine team as it could take us around or even as far as Rigolette. Thursday, February 25th, I got to Northwest River. Sunday, February 28th, Mr. Wallace and Mr. Bentley arrived from Kenemish. Then I told Mr. Wallace what John Groves had told me, that he could help us with his team as far as Rigolette anyway, and that he had a good team of dogs. Friday, April 8th, lots of teams from Muddy Lake. Edward Michelin also arrived. He has been at Goose Bay a few days ago, and tells me that his brother-in-law, John Groves, said that if Mr. Wallace would ask him to help him along, he could go as far as Rigolette with his team of dogs, as at the time he did not have very much to do, and he could have time to go to Rigolette and back before he had any particular work to do for himself. Then I told Mr. Wallace about it, what John Groves has said. He said that he would write a letter to him and ask him about it. But Mr. Wallace and Mr. Mackenzie still thinking of getting the canoe out, and wanted me to go up the Grand Lake and up by Beaver Brook to get the canoe out to Northwest River. I was not careful of undertaking the trip. My reasons why, 
I knew how long it would take me to go up and back again to Northwest River. It would take me nearly two weeks. I thought it would be pretty late when we could make a start on our trip to Battle Harbor, and would miss the boat that Dr. McPherson told us would be in Battle Harbor about the 1st of May. Also, I was sure the canoe would be crushed to pieces with the weight of the snow, as we left it in a place where it had a good chance of being crushed to the ground. If we had put it in some shelter where it would be all right, or if we had put it on a stage to keep in good shape, but when we had just taken it out of the river, and just left it along the open, I knew it could not be safe. I thought it was a piece of nonsense to try and get it out, and it would only be a trip for nothing. Even then I would be willing to go if it hadn't been so late. Also, I thought it was hardly fair to try and force me to go anyway, because I knew that I wasn't under either of them. I was hired by Mr. Hubbard on the trip, and we had to do all the planning. It was Mr. Hubbard's expedition, and we had to obey him and try to help him in all we could while we were yet together. Also, Mr. Hubbard had done and has always left things in my care to which I thought it would be better for us to do, and has gone by my plans a good deal, though he was the head of the party. Also, what was belonging to Mr. Hubbard, knowing that I had just as much rights with some of his things as anyone had, and in fact that I had already done that would be required, and had gotten out everything that I thought was necessary to be gotten out from the bush. However, at last I said that I would go if I got a dog team, so I got ready to start to go for the canoe. Wallace told me, You see, if when you went up, if you had dug up the canoe out of the snow and put it up on a stage, you wouldn't have to go up again. I said, I do not have to go up again. It is not long since I had my first trip up there. I think I have done my part. I was to start Tuesday, April 12th. Monday, April 11th. Mr. Wallace wrote a letter and wrote to John Groves telling him to be at Northwest River at such a day, about the time we would be out with the canoe from Grand Lake and Beaver River. Sent his letter up by Carl Hope. Tuesday, April 12th. A pile snowing and we could not go. Mark Blake and I were to start this morning, but too stormy. Wednesday, April 13th. Still very stormy and lots of new snow has been falling, and could not make a start again. I told Wallace and Mackenzie that if I could not go off again the next morning I would give up the trip and not go at all, as it was getting too late. Thursday, April 14th. Still stormy and snowing very hard, so that we could not go again and gave up the trip. Monday, April 18th. Henry and his brother Dan Groves arrived. I told Mr. Wallace about them, and that he could send word by them to tell their brother John Groves to come right away and help us to Rigolette. Tuesday, April 19th. John Groves arrived and said that he could not come along with us, as he had now lots of work that he wanted to do for himself, and besides his dogs were all cut by crust about the feet. April 20th. Getting ready for starting off in the morning. Getting help from Monsieur Duclos, the French company agent here. Sending his man, Belfleur, to help me on to Rigolette with his dog team. Thursday, April 21st. Belfleur and I started this morning from Northwest River with Mr. Hubbard's body, starting a day ahead of Mr. Mackenzie, as we have a heavy load and the going heavy. We'll take three days to Rigolette. Mr. Mackenzie will bring Wallace along with him and Fred Blake, his teamster. They will overtake us on the way, as they have good dogs and no load, only just themselves. Got to Lowlands at ten o'clock tonight. Bad footing for our dogs and had to lead them and break down the snow. We came forty miles today and our dogs at last played out. Bob Beakey lives here and does his trapping around here. He tells us he killed a caribou today, a big stag. April 22nd. This morning gave our dogs a little rest and did not start for Mr. Bakey's till noon. Our dogs are so poor that most of them are chafed with the harness and a mixed team, some water dogs, some Eskimo dogs. The water dogs do not stand the hard workness so well as the huskies and get played sooner. Before we started today, one of the men killed four caribou there. Came here this evening at Bell Shepherd's. Saturday evening, April 22nd. Got to Rigolette. Mr. Mackenzie caught up to us just a few miles before getting to Rigolette, and we got there together. Mr. Fraser, the agent at Rigolette, has some time ago been telling Jerry Flowers and his brother that we would be along at Rigolette, and asked them if they would help us along to Cartwright, and that he would let them know when we came to Rigolette. Sunday, April 24th. Mr. Fraser sent off two men to go and tell Jerry and his brother that we are at Rigolette. Monday, April 25th. Early this morning, Jerry and brother came with team of dogs each, but they wouldn't go less than $30 each for two days' run. Mr. Fraser told them they were charging too much, and wouldn't have them, but got some other men for us. 
left Rigolet in the afternoon, crossed over a river in a boat, came to William Mugford's three miles from Rigolet. Tuesday, April 26th, snowing, started at 6 a.m., wind in our faces before noon and the new snow made heavy going. I have Mr. Hubbard's body on my sledge and also some dunnage and have four dogs. George Pottle, my teamster. Wallace has George Williams for his teamster and six dogs. Afternoon, the wind shifted to the northwest and the wind blew the snow off the crust and fine going. A few ridges of hills we came over, but not bad. Came 40 miles today. Came to Sam Pottle's house at West Bay at 6.30 p.m. Wednesday, April 27th. Started from West Bay, 7 a.m. Got to Cartwright, 4.30 p.m., 46 miles. Sam Pottle and George Williams are teamsters. Drifting and cold all day. Thursday, April 28th. Staying here at the post. Mr. Swaffield, agent here of the Hudson's Bay Post, getting us another team. Only enough dogs for one team here. Mr. Swaffield has sent for Charles Davies to be ready for starting off in the morning. Friday, April 29th. This morning Mr. Davies took sick and was very bad. So Mr. Swaffield had to get us another man in his place, Walter Bird. Started 7 a.m., got to Sandy Hill to 30 p.m., and got so soft we could not travel, especially through the portages. Traveling mostly on ice. Came 30 miles. Saturday, April 30th. This morning we started from Sandy Hill 4 a.m. and got to Spotted Islands 8.30 a.m., 25 miles. Our teamsters don't know the route any farther. Mick Dyson and Bill Dyson are teamsters from Spotted Islands. Starting off in the afternoon, 2.30 p.m., got to Seal Island, 6 p.m., 20 miles. Sunday, May 1st. Very stormy and can't see any distance. Can't make a start today. Staying in George Morris's house. Monday, May 2nd. Still stormy. We started from Seal Island, 11 a.m. after it cleared up a bit, and got to Cooper's Bight, or New York, 7 p.m., 35 miles. Nobody living there. We came to some shacks. No stoves in any of them and all the doors off. We gathered some of the old broken stoves and made a kind of fireplace in the middle of the house and built a fire. We cut a hole in the roof to let the smoke out. Tuesday, May 3rd. Started off this morning, 4 a.m. It was yet dark. Got to Williams Harbor, 9 a.m., 30 miles. Came to Mr. John Russell's house. Mr. Russell and his brother James Russell have been starting off into the bay and will not be home till evening. Make it to Bill Dyson do not know the route any further. The Russells came home this evening and will take us to Fox Harbor in the morning. Wednesday, May 4th. Started off from Williams Harbor early this morning, 6 a.m., and came to Mr. George Wickham's at Fox Harbor about 10 a.m., 25 miles. Cannot get across the bay, and people tell us that we cannot go round by dog team on account of a river near Cape Charles, so we have to wait here till the ice moves out. Only six miles from Battle Harbor. We stay here at Mr. Wickham's. The people all along on our trip has been good to us as they could. We had only to go by Dr. McPherson's letter, and at every place they were always ready to help us, because when the doctor has passed he told them about us coming along the coast, and they were always looking out for us. The people all along the coast has heard of my finding the things on my trip in the bush. One would tell the other, this is the man we heard of when he found everything he dug for in the snow this winter. Thursday, May 12th. About noon a little boat came from Battle Harbor to Fox Harbor. The doctor had heard that we were at Fox Harbor, and right away sent a little boat with five men to help us, and telling us about a steamer at Cape Charles. She will be starting for Newfoundland maybe in the morning. Wallace and I were more than glad, and started right away from Fox Harbor. We were there eight days at Fox Harbor. We came through the floating ice and went around to Cape Charles, went aboard the steamer and found out that the captain was at Battle Harbor. So we came around and got to Battle Harbor late in the evening. Friday, May 13th. Dr. McPherson had Mr. Hubbard's body enclosed in a lead coffin. In the afternoon we went aboard the steamer Aurora, Captain Keene, that had gone to Cape Charles with a load of machinery for the new whale factory. Saturday, May 14th. In the evening, 7.30 p.m., starting from Cape Charles for St. John's, Newfoundland. Tuesday, May 17th. Arrived at St. John's, Newfoundland. Friday, May 27th. Arrived at New York City. Saturday, May 28th. 
Mr. Hubbard's body was buried today in Mount Repose in Haverstraw. End of section 21. End of A Woman's Way Through Unknown Labrador by Mina Benson Hubbard. Read by Zach Hoyt, Orwell, New York.